Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Zoopcast, episode 76. It's just me and Josh today because this is our annual draft ranking show. So we don't need Adam for this. He's not well-versed enough in the draft. You know, this is uh, this is just us two. We're going to be going through uh, my rankings that I posted um, earlier this week, go through possible ideas for sense picks, other stuff draft-wise. So um, unless you have anything else to say, Josh, I think we can get right into it, right? I think we're good to go. Looking, just reading over your rankings as you speak. I mean, not for the first time, but refreshing, seeing what we can talk about today, because it's coming up, because it's in the middle of the week. Because okay, Kid Rock, because Kid Rock has the bridge, has Bridgestone Arena on the No Snowflakes Allowed Tour. Is that actually why? Yes, that's, yes. he has a show Friday night, or Saturday night, one or the other. Oh my so god, because I remember... Can't. Oh, that's so, so stupid. Kid Rock to come in and do, I don't know what he does at this stage, but do whatever he does over the draft. Apparently that, that brings in more money for them, so that really goes to show. But anyway, we can take it off with the uh, 2023 draft rankings. Louis, tough question. Who do you have number one? Uh, you know, after a lot of pondering, like, man, just hours and hours of scouring. So it's, it's obviously Bedard at one. Um, I don't know that I need to talk about him that much. Everybody has seen how just insane he is, how crazy his shooting mechanics are, how clutch he can be, like, at the World Juniors. So I think, I think it gets way more interesting after, after that. Once you reach two, maybe even three or four. So, I, there's evidently a clear drop-off after Bedard. And then you have some really top-level skill. Like, the thing with this draft, as I think... Um, obviously going into it in the past, it was Bedard versus Mitchkov. Then going it into this season, it was more Bedard versus Fantilli. Now it's known as the Bedard. It was not, yeah. It was never, yeah, it was never yeah. really a huge versus. Not that there was no. zero, absolutely zero, but he really separated himself this year. Yes, I think especially the more, world juniors was where every, every person who follows hockey to the slightest knew that it was Bedard's draft. Like, Yeah. Exactly. No, no. Like, and listen, I've known, like, I remember there was an article on Connor Bedard years and years ago when he was only like 11 years old or something. And I remember reading about that. And it was called like the next Connor or something because McDavid had just broken into the league at that point. And I remember keeping tabs on him, like going like, wow, this guy is scoring like three points per game as a 15 year old in a U18 AAA league. It's just been crazy. It, it has never really been Bedard <laughs> versus someone. You're right. It's more like He's the top headliner, and this is someone else who's very, very good. And you, everyone's always looking for someone to catch up. That's the thing. No matter how yeah. big the gap is, up until there's zero doubt, people are always looking for, okay, who's going to challenge him? Because we don't want it to be a boring uh, lead-up. But unfortunately, because he's so good, he's a bit of a boring lead-up. But yeah, so Bedard's first, and then do you want to talk about your second tier? You have three players in it. I think it's three players that a lot of people everyone knows are incredibly skilled so do you want to go about why you rank them in that order yeah so i'll i will say before i get into each of them is that 
I think this entire top four, like you can classify this draft here as like the big four are at the top. Like this is a clear top four personally for me. And I think for a lot of people in the scouting sphere agree, um, there might be one guy that sneaks in there to make it a big five for some people. Um, but these four guys are all first overall pick worthy. So we're talking about Bidal, we're talking about Fantilli, Mitchkov, and Leo Carlson. These are all guys that are first overall talents and would have all gone first overall last year. And then I'll get into it later, but there's another guy I think could have pushed even for then last year, given how bad of a draft it was um, at the top. But yes, I do have Fantilli number two. Uh, he is in the same tier as Mitchkov and Carlson, but I do have him like a half tier like in his own bubble in the tier i would say he's clearly number two for me of the tier yeah like he's very highly likely to be an elite level guy the way he blends power and finesse together is just incredible really good off puck game really good playmaker you could argue that his production this year in the ncaa uh, at michigan was more impressive than bedal's because he was like two points per game as a 17 slash 18 year old yeah it's insane like, that's Eichel and, or, like, Johnny Gaudreau levels. Yeah, and the other guys you have that you already mentioned, Mitchkov and Carlson, also had uh, incredible stats. Like, yeah. Um, Mitchkov had what? I mean, he, okay, so I'm looking right now. In SKA, he didn't get any points in three games, whatever, but 20 points in 27 KHL games in the draft year is absurd. Like, it doesn't sound that crazy. When That's you consider the that there are NHL the players who couldn't, e- yeah, who couldn't even crack the KHL after their draft year for a little bit and still made it to the NHL or were successful. He was almost a point per game at, you know, 17, 18. So yeah. that, you know, he doesn't turn 19 until uh, December. So yeah, he is older than most guys, but it, it's still incredibly impressive. And then, yeah, Leo Carlson's, I think it's debatable, but are just as impressive at least. You want to talk about those, uh, those, go, yeah. go talk about Mitchkov because you have him third. Yeah, so it's funny because Mitchkov and Carlson and I kind of bounce back on. One day you could ask me who I have at three and who I have at four. It's really a case of possible generational talent versus like maybe not guaranteed, but um, like a very good chance to being a first line guy and a really good floor accompanied by it. So yeah, so I'll go into Mitchkov. Like the the production you mentioned, that's all due to just how fast his brain goes. Like his brain speed is through the roof. The way he's able to process the play use that information to anticipate next move, decide what he's going to do and execute is just crazy. He's super smart, super creative. One of the only true triple threat offensive powerhouses that you'll, that you'll see um, from the mix of his handling, his shooting and playmaking prowess. Um, at the start of the season, he kind of had to hide his playmaking and not use it as much because he was stuck in the SKA St. Petersburg team and wasn't getting a lot of minutes or opportunity to do that. Then he moved over to Sochi He's been much better at that. He still needs to iron out some play efficiency, but I don't know if you wanted to go into into Carlson, who's kind of the foil and way more of a, um, way more of a certain guy, but with less generational talent, though. Yeah. So I personally haven't done a ton of of scouting or any of that sort of stuff. Just you know, read on some stuff. I know that a lot of people have him three. Um, above Mitchkov, I don't know if that you know if uh, it's, it's sort of a fifty-fifty split. Yeah, I think the fact that Carlson is already like above average size-wise, like he's six-three, might be pushing six-four. I don't know. Probably approaching or passing two hundred pounds by the start of next year. Yeah. He's in the same boat as Mitchkov, where he's a December '04, so he's you know a bit older than the normal uh, age for the draft class or the average age, but. 
again, the production, 25 points in 44 games. Again, doesn't sound like a crazy amount, but especially in the SHL, where a lot of times draft-eligible guys will play like four, five, six, seven minutes a night. And you see that they have three points in 20 games, and it's like, okay, he's never making it. But that's actually not even that bad. The yeah. last very high-end Swedish player to play in the SHL in the draft year, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, would have been Dahlin. And obviously he's a defenseman, but he had uh, he was just under half a point per game, and that was considered incredible. Yeah, yeah, and again, he's a defenseman, so he's going to get less points, but he's an offensive defenseman at that. And that was considered like crazy good pace. So yeah, he's a forward, but Carlson's got above that. He's at 25 and 44. And then the playoffs, he was not quite a point per game, but nine points in 13 games is pretty good when the uh, going gets tough there in the playoffs. So I feel like that's something that'll um, get GMs drawn to him. I saw a report, I don't know how legit it was, that they were looking at Carlson with the second overall pick, Anaheim. So that, yeah, at least there's some, some intrigue, right? Like, yeah, everyone knows Bedard is going first, but at least we don't know for sure something someone is going second. The so. thing I will say, like, about taking Carlson too, is he's already, like, near the top of his game physically. So how much room does that give him to continue developing past that? Already, the floor is, like, super high. That's the thing. But he's... Like, he's still going to be, the thing is, you can't, I don't know if you can pass on Fantilli at that point. And as for, like, Mitchkov, we didn't even talk about his, yeah. his the, the contract situation there. But you can yeah, of course. say, yeah, but I'll get into that. No, after. I mean, yeah, we can, like, we, yeah, I don't think we have to go a ton into, like, the contract situation. I feel like, so he's in Nashville, I saw. He's taking interviews with teams in the top 10. So I know there. Were, I think there was concern that teams would fly out to Russia and meet him, and he just wouldn't even take an interview with them or whatever. But he's in Nashville, so he'll be there for the draft. It sounds like. Um, so if he had no intention of coming over, I don't think he would have done that. It's definitely interesting. I mean, it's it's going to make him fall, no doubt. Like even if he just goes four, five, six, that could still be considered falling in the end. Yeah. But what I was going to say um, about Leo Carlson was I. I it's an interesting thing about being already at the top of the game physically. I find that guys who are already there physically can focus more on other things, like the, right, getting their skills improved. You know, in the offseason, if you, if you don't feel like you have to be in the gym two hours a day, you can be on the ice more often doing other, uh, other type of skill work. So I still think there's it kind of, it's kind of like growing into your body in a sense, right? Getting more accustomed to being such a big dude. So yeah. I still think that the upside trajectory obviously you agree because you have them in the top four i i think i feel like one and two i agree but dark fantilly but with number three if between the, the two guys we're talking about you there's not really a way to go wrong about it no and like one thing i will say like before we move on from from this crop here is that if you look at the mitchkov contract situation you can absolutely leverage that as an asset because if he still goes through with his contract in the KHL, that means you can have kind of like a Kaprasov situation where you have an ELC player who's already like very developed coming over. Yeah. You can that not only does that help you tank until then by making your team worse by not mm-hmm. having that player on your team, but then it comes in and it helps you tremendously cap wise because then you have yeah. a player from age 22 to 24, who's very, very developed already and can help you win a ton. So it gives you kind of a yeah. set timeline in your rebuild. The only concern I'd have if I was drafting him is if you haven't had a successful season or, you know, haven't made the playoffs without him, what if he's like, okay, well, I'm not leaving my home country 
to come play that's for cool. a bad team. Yes, yes, he will probably become their best player the second he steps on the ice for them, if that's, you know, in two, three years from now. But let's just say Columbus takes him. They were just a 90-point team. Is he really going to say, okay, I want to go there to just contend for a wildcard spot? So it's risky, but 100%, if it, it's like taking an even bigger gamble than you already are on the player itself. And if it pays off, it'll pay off huge. So really cool to see where he goes. Hopefully not to Montreal. <laughs> yeah, agreed. <laughs> but yeah, we can move on. I would say, so you have a lot of players here. I'm not going to make you go through all 40 of them. But in this tier, you can, you know, talk about, you name all the guys, do a quick rundown, and just give, like, your favorite player in this tier. Yeah, so I'll separate into, like, this is this is my tier three. It runs from five to 12. There's three points I want to touch on for this. Number one being Zach Benson that I have at five. I know some people have Will Smith there, but he's my favorite player in the draft. I mean... I listen. I literally have my Winnipeg Ice jersey behind me. Rip the Winnipeg Ice, also by the way. Um, but seeing where he is on Bob McKenzie's ranking, like wow, this guy's gonna fall way further than he should. Yes, he's like 5'10", 160. Um, but he had incredible uh, production. He was the best player on a Winnipeg team that was full of very good first and second round talents. He is just incredibly intelligent. He has the claim, I think, to be the most intelligent player in the draft, even with Bedal there. Like, you could argue for it, which is insane when you're facing up against general ta- generational talent like that. Um, but also, he brings in a ton of pace, a absolutely tenacious forecheck, a really good defensive stick. That's the thing. He has, like, really good a really good pro mindset and reads that's going to give him a really good floor and just multifaceted value on top of his really intelligent playmaking style. Um, so that's Benson. Um, after that, there's all the USNTDP guys. So that's Smith, Leonard, Moore. That's currently the order that I have them in. Uh, Smith is probably going to go high, higher in the draft. Um, Leonard is one that's been speculated to go to Montreal at five, along with Reinbacher. Um, but Leonard's just a really good complimentary guy. Like the, the perfect complimentary power for that you could put on a line of two really good play driving guys. And then Moore, mm-hmm. one of the best skaters I've ever scouted. Like, his mechanical form and the way he's able to just burn past people. And there's just... You look at him skating, it's just marvelous. Kind of like Brad Lambert last year, in a sense. Um, and then after that, yeah. it's it's the debate of... I, I've seen some people talk about this, but who's really the top D of the draft? Because we're only talking about this now that I'm reaching, like, 9, 10, 11, 12. There's, no, there's so many good forwards at the top that you don't even reach defensemen until this far. And... Personally, the, the order I have is? it in, Dmitry Simachev, uh, who is just one of the... He has an incredibly, incredibly high floor. Um, his ability to cover the ice with his reach and mobility, he's such a good skater, such a good defensive mind. Um, the way he's able to prevent chances off the rush one-on-one and actually has a pretty solid breakout game, really gives me hope for more offensive creativity or just usage coming up at the NHL level. Um, but I do, that's another thing. There's two parts that I flip-flop the most on in this draft. It's Mitchkov, Carlson, and then the ordering of these three guys. Because Sandy and Pelika is also a really good guy. He's got, a t- I think, maybe the most upside of these three defensemen, uh, given his his skating. He's just one of the best transition defensemen in the draft. And then Ryan Bacher, I probably have lower than most people. But he's got flashes of activation that really make me think he could 
he could not just be like a fine two-way guy. Like he could legitimately be a top pair guy if he acts on those more. Because you look at his production in the Swiss League, it's really, really good. Like he was like half a point per game as a draft eligible defenseman in the top tier Swiss League. That's insane. Like that is really, really good. So like it's not just a really high floor with him. There is potential offensively for him to grow into a top pairing role. It's just really continue to act on them and really grasp that opportunity. And then just to close it out, I have Quentin Musty there, um, who's I, I think has grown okay, one, of, for him. one of the players. Just have him there. <laughs> yeah, he's just he's just fun. He's actually one of the players who's grown the most, I think, throughout the year. Um, and he's going to be a power playmaker, kind of in the uh, like with still some some scoring upside, maybe in the Andrei Sveshnikov mold, I would say. Which if you can get that kind of guy at twelve, like absolutely go for that. Definitely, it wouldn't be bad to get that twelfth overall. Yeah, but so yeah, so that's not, that's good. I mean, you have a couple of D men. I know everyone knows it's like it's the draft of the forwards. I don't even know. You have a goalie in your honorable mentions. I don't think you have a goalie actually ranked, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so close. it's He's really the draft ranked. of the forwards because yeah. as we go, yeah. So you have your your three defensemen there from nine to eleven. But again, it's the draft of the forwards, like we said. So you don't have another one until 25, which spans past your tier four, correct? Or it does not. You just you sort of separated your tier four a little differently than you did your other four tiers. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, which is all good. But let's, let's go through the part that you have ranked 13 to 20, which is the, uh, the higher end tier four guys. I don't want to go through all of them, but give give me you know two of your favorites there. Who who do you think has the highest upside? Maybe just someone you want to talk about. Yeah, uh, Grayson Sachin is really interesting because Bob McKenzie his rankings came out yesterday. I have him at thirteen, which is one of the highest that you'll see out there. Bob McKenzie had a, has him at like forty nine, I believe. Uh, so I think that's a guy who has possible top six potential. Um, he's a super efficient passer, really tenacious, uh, his checking game inside drive, he, the way he blends handling and, uh, passing is really good. The thing is his production was, was good. Like it wasn't pop off the score sheet incredible, but he didn't get that much exposure because he was on a Seattle Thunderbirds team that was loaded. Like he had to play on the third line because they had so many good players like Brad Lambert or other first rounders on their top six. So he was forced to play down the lineup. And I think that really hurt his exposure throughout the year. I think Matthew Wood is a guy that's pretty interesting too. I have him at 16. Uh, he is a really big guy, can bring a really potentially strong power scoring game. And he's another guy that has developed super strong, super well. Like that's one thing I look for players a lot is if they can really develop poor aspects of their game and turn them into a strength in such a way that he can really fill out his toolkit. I think that's really promising because that means they can identify what's wrong with their game, how they can improve for that, or how they can mask it and move forward. And he's absolutely one of those guys. The thing is, he still really needs to improve his skating a lot. So I think that's a pretty good group against, as you said, it's all forward. So I'm just going to say the actual ranking. It's Grayson Sochi yeah, at 13, Dalibor Dvorsky at 14, Gavin Brindley at 15, Matthew Wood at 16, Gabe Perrault at 17, Andrew Crystal at 18, and uh, Jaden Perrault at 19, and then Callum Ritchie at 20, who is also a guy to keep an eye on, who I think if I were to make the rankings again, he would be a little higher, which pains me to say, because I'm a 67s fan. I don't like the generals. I mean, their their social media presence and all that stuff is great, 
I love the insane, like the incredibly high amount of uh, LGBTQ plus support they uh, they promote out on uh, on Twitter and all that. But yeah, I, on the ice, not a Jens fan. Can't I can't be. But Callum Ritchie's really good, and I feel like having him at twenty is probably too low now that I think about it. But he's just such a smart player. So it is what we'll, it we'll is. See. But at least you said it in case uh, in case he does pan out yeah. to be better than twentieth best. But yeah, so that we again, this is still part of your. Uh, your tier four. So this is the second and third sections of it are mixed together. But in the yeah, first big group, in the first of the two middle section of the fourth tier, you have Nate yes. Danielson, 21. I don't know how to say this. Oscar Fisker Molgard. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, that's right. 22. Uh, Daniel Bou, 23rd. And then you have Riley Height, 24, Tom Willander, 25, and Luca Cagnoni. I hope I said that right, 26. Yeah. So again, we can group those together. Those last two names are defensemen, so maybe you want to focus on them, but who's someone you really like in that group? Yeah, I'll talk about those guys specifically because, again, more defensemen. We don't have a lot of defensemen to talk about here. Uh, so Tom Willander is interesting because he's a guy that I think the like actual NHL and industry guys are going to have much higher um, because he's such a such a persistent player and has a really good like footwork foundation that's going to help him uh, make defensive plays and just all throughout the ice. Because he's very engaged defensively. He's you know he's not small. He's six one, and his draft stock has improved a lot throughout the year because he started experimenting a little more uh, with plays. So that's really really uh, encouraging in terms of offensive development. And then Luca Cagnoni, I think, I'm just looking here, I think that's probably the player that I have the highest above his ranking on Bob McKenzie's list. I have him 26, he's down at 78 on that. So he's a 5'10", he's a 172-pound defenseman, which, if he grows a little Isn't bit more, that's not the end of the world. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah, like, if he becomes like a 5'11", 185 guy, that's not an issue, especially in today's NHL. Um, but I see him as a potential top-four guy. Uh, his biggest strength, like his signature skill, is his activation and evasion prowess. Like he's able to activate into the play, squeak past guys, uh, deceive players on breakouts, on retrievals, and fling outlet passes like crazy. He has a lot of offensive potential, and his uh, his defensive play has actually increased a fair bit throughout the year to the point where it really helps the projection for me. Um, the thing is, again, is a little bit of a light frame, but. He has developed so well. That's the thing. He went from an undrafted player to a top pair WHLD man, and that is indicative of a really rapid development course and could mean that he'd be ready in the NHL and unlock his potential much faster than you'd think. Yeah. The way you're speaking about him and the fact that you have him way higher than the consensus kind of reminds me of where I had Lucas Cormier ranked a couple years ago. Like, I really oh, liked him. I love him. Cormier, love him. yeah, great. Cormier currently is like 5'10", 5'11", 175, 180 range. So even smaller than what you're, what that guy could end up becoming, I think, just because, you know, he's got a couple of years to catch up to him. And Cormier, he's not in the NHL yet, but he was over, above a half a point per game in his age 20 season in the AHL, which is really good. So kind of, I don't know if it's a similar style of play, but similar style in terms of undersized guy that we value that, you know, the um, the other people on social media putting out these rankings might not see in the same light. So kind of a good comparison, something to keep an eye on. But uh, we have one more defenseman in in this uh, tier four, and that's the, would you like to call this the third part of your fourth tier or the fourth part of your fourth tier? 
third. I think it's three. It, like third? 13 okay. to 20, 21 to 26, and 27 to 32. Yeah. Okay. Oh, those may actually be the same color, but just because they're cut off, they look different to me. But anyway, yeah, is that, yeah, technically like you said. slightly lighter shades. <laughs> okay. Okay. So yeah, so 27 yeah. to 32. Is that Samuel? Forward, Kobe Barlow, another forward. Then we have our last D-Medic, Mikhail Guliaev. Uh, yep. And then we have Otto Stenberg, Braden Jaeger, who I really like. I, w- I would like for you to talk about him. I haven't watched him this year, but I watched a lot of him last year. And then we had Edouard Chalet. I believe is how you say it, at 32, rounding out what will be the first round uh, next week. Yeah, uh, this, these are a lot of guys that I think every single one in here is I have lower than the consensus, so like Bob's list. They're all between like 6 to 16 spots lower. Um, and that's just a testament to how good the draft is. It's not like I dislike any of these guys except for like maybe one of them um, and just don't really believe in their potential. Like Samuel Hunt is, is really Shala? good. Yes, yes, it's Edward Shala. Yes, indeed. Um, but I'll, I'll get to him. Like, Barlow has the potential to be, like, a 30-goal guy, which is great. I just have some issues with the lack of playmaking game, but he's a really tenacious player who tries a lot on back checks. Hanzek is really big and has a, like, very underrated potential. He's pretty raw, so there's a chance there. It's just I have problems with the just very low amount of scanning that he does when he's on the ice, which hinders his ability to anticipate and see play around him. Uh, Mikhail Golyayev is another guy who has Quinn Hughes-like skating ability, but his play selection is not quite there yet, but that's something that can be ironed out and could make him into one of the best activating defensemen. Um, Jaeger is interesting. Yeah, Jaeger and Shalai have, like, a fair bit lower than most people. Um, I know they were both, they're both fallers. Like, they were both much higher, probably top 10 on some lists at the start of the year. Um, Jaeger on him, he, like incredible shooter and the amount of diverse different shots he has in his arsenal is just incredible and you add that with really good defensive engagement and smart defensive play and you have a pretty unique player kind of in the maybe jason robertson mold because he's also like willing to pass a lot it's just his effectiveness there is not super great and he's not able to conduct much problem solving at the next level and that really worries me um, and then Edward Chala is, Sens fans are not going to like hearing this because I kind of get Alexandre Daigle vibes from him in the sense that he is insanely talented. Like he could totally be like, he's a top 15 talent. That's no doubt. Um, the way he's able to receive pucks and his first touch puck handling, incredible. It's just so, so lovely to be able to watch that. It's just the complete lack of care and willingness for play. Like at times, whether that's when he doesn't have the puck or even just other parts in the game when his team is on offense. It's just sometimes I'm asking myself if he even likes to play hockey, which is never a good feeling to have about a prospect. But the sheer amount of talent um, put like has to put him at 32. It's just he's incapable to play through contact and doesn't even try to do so. And that's going to get exposed big time at the NHL level. Like If he doesn't change, that is that could be catastrophic. Yeah, so... No, your first very negative, uh, not entirely negative, but your first sort of negative review on a guy through the first round. Now your rankings go all the way to 40, so you have a fifth tier. Did you want to go tell everyone exactly what those are? I know you posted them online. Or did you want to sort of go through 33 to your honorable mentions and give us a couple of your favorites? It's up to you. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, so I have Bo Aki at 33, who's 
a guy that I'm higher on than most, I think. He has evolved pretty well this year, and I think he has some of the best rush defense in the draft. The way he's able to track guys in terms with his skating and his body and his stick and be able to read plays one-on-one and shut them down is really, really good, and that provides a very, very strong foundation uh, at the next level, and that's that's going to be super translatable for him. And in terms of, like, some of his micro stats really display the story of his season in that at the start of the year, he wasn't really much of an offensive powerhouse, and not that he was at the end, but he showed signs that he possibly could be by having, I think, the highest expected goals per 60 amongst all defensemen at the OHL level this year. Uh, shout out to Mitch Brown. Yeah, yeah, okay. like individual expected goals per sixty. Yeah, shout out to Mitch Brown and Elite Prospects. I like his name, so I agree with you there. having him there at the top of your tier. So that's yeah, my no, that's the extent of my research, the extent of my opinion. So I'm bumping him up to throw my two cents. That. Perfect. Because uh, we know how much I I respect good names for prospects. Um, exactly. Yeah. So uh, I have uh, Cohen Zimmer at thirty four, who's super violent very dynamic scoring threat guy but his skating is really bad um so that's a fun project pick ethan Gauthier at 35 who i like a lot too he's he's pretty good like maybe not quite in the shane wright mold but in the sense that his signature skill is uh like being a very good connector on the ice and being able to have a lot of people go through him and just make quick plays like that to be able to uh, allow his teammates to get open and then quickly go from one to each other by being that node in the middle that connects it all. Um, Luka Dragasevic at 36, one of the better dynamic offensive defensemen in the draft. Yeah, it's a great name, but he is just not incredibly efficient defensively and his explosiveness lacks, especially for a guy whose main thing is dynamic offense, so you kind of need that separation at times. If his name wasn't that, would he be lower? Got to ask the important question. <laughs> anyway, yeah, let's keep yeah. Going. Uh, Nick Lardis at 37, who's one of the bigger risers at the end of the season. He got traded from Peterborough to Hamilton, uh, and just exploded offensively like 25 goals in 33 games, which is nuts. And uh, very so young. That's a really yes, yeah, very young for the draft. July. Class. I don't know if so. He's sort of like how everyone was talking about Byfield, that one like you know a couple yeah. years ago. <laughs> In the sense yes. that, you know, but he was Michael so was young, so he has more room to grow. Yeah, he's August, yeah. right? Or late August. But the point is, like, there's a reason he kind of became a riser, probably, is because he started catching, not catching a billion age, but the, you know, like, he's obviously the exact same age difference. But because he's older, he's kind of in that faster growing stage. So I feel like that, that often happens with guys is they get better and better a little bit faster at a younger age. So that's well, cool it see. also helped that he wasn't really buried in a Peter stack Peterborough team and ended up being that would help considering <laughs> considering you went from 19 and 36 in Peterborough to 46 and 33, including 25 goals in Hamilton. I would definitely consider that to be a, an upgrade in his role and his, uh, his, his output. Yeah, exactly. So he's at 37. Uh, David Edstrom at 38, who I think. Doesn't get talked a lot about, even though he's, I think, ranked around this time usually. He's got a really translatable style, and his production and play at the U18s is indicative of maybe a better offensive ceiling than people give him credit for. Uh, then Caden Price at 39, and then Tanner Molendyke, just a sublime skater at 40. And that gives him a very strong basis to at least be a bottom four defenseman and potential for way more with how he uses his skating to defend rushes and... Uh, 
potentially use that offensively if he can unlock some parts of his brain to really get him to use that more. Um, and then the honorable mentions, it pained me to leave Luca Pinelli outside the fourth. Yeah, I was uh. going to say, here, I'll read your honorable mentions for you. So it's Luca Pinelli, you have Bradley Nadeau, Joey Willis, Matthew Mania, great name. Incredible That's really name. good. Oliver Bonk, obviously, everyone knows. And then Trey Augustine, your only goalie. So what I'll do is I would like for you to talk about two guys. I'm not going to let you pick, but talk. I want you to talk about, obviously, Luca Pinelli and Oliver Bonk. I feel like that's what you would have talked yes. about anyways. So go ahead. Probably. Yeah. So Penelli, man, I was so, I think I had him at 40 for a little bit and I ended up just bumping him oh. out. So he's basically my honorable 41. Um, Why don't you just so make 41 have, ranking? That just, oh, that does not roll off the tongue. Once we get 41 NHL teams, sure. There that's when I'll, I'll move to that. And there'll be, there'll uh, be a, Oliver Bonk will have a kid in the draft. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Canada will have its own team once the Sens move downtown, which, oh my god, that's a whole other thing that I don't want to talk about. Next episode. But, All right. yeah. Um, but no, uh, Pinelli, like, signature skill for him is just the way he's able to weave in and out of plays. Like, he'll go 10-2 and two with his feet, with and without the puck. He's just, it, his agility is really nice. And for, like, a 5'9 guy, he wins puck battles and board battles. Like, there's no tomorrow. He plays with, plays with a lot of pace, uh, supports very well, forechecks well. It's just the size and top speed combo on top of the lack of high-end true manipulation ability worries me a tiny bit, and the skating mechanics are not quite there to the point where his agility, which he relies on a lot, might drop off at the next level, and that's that's a little bit um, to the point where I'm like, maybe I should drop him outside the top 40. The thing is, uh, once I wonder if he will stand out more and develop his playmaking once he's outside the 67 system, because that's more of a homogenous team system, whereas he might be able to, or even just next year, because in the playoffs, he had like 18 points in 11 games. So who knows? Maybe, maybe our short king from Ottawa will, uh, will do well. And then there's Oliver Bonk, who I've already gotten one reply to my original ranking tweet saying that Bonk being an honorable mention and not being in the top 40 is a tragedy. Don't worry, guys. He's number one on Vibes. Don't worry about that, all right? And this just means I'm trying to convince other teams with my rankings to have him go lower so the Sens can pick him on 108. That won't happen, evidently, but I can try my best. Um, but yeah, he, at this point in the draft, he's probably the most likely player to be to play in the NHL. Like, he has an incredibly high floor. After your top four. Uh, yeah, after, yeah, exactly. Um, out of the field left, he's... He's he's very high up there, probably top three, top five. Um, he's very effective at shutting down the opposition using his body and physicality for that. Like whether that's uh, especially on in the cycle, his scanning habits are really promising there, and the way he's able to protect the inside is good. And he's got a very good motor, which like of course it's Oliver Bonk. How can't how couldn't he? Uh, I'm not going to speak ill of Oliver Bonk, so I'm going to forego his uh, weaknesses. Which is just all right. That's a good wrap up. I need to end on a negative note. Yeah, that wraps up your uh, your top 40 plus six honorable mentions. So I'm just going to call it a top 46. I know you're going to hate that. That was okay. Louis' top 46, everyone. But we didn't really talk anything about how this affects the Sens because, well, they literally don't pick until, or they don't pick in the top 100. They don't pick till 108. So two things we can do really quick. One is, who do you think, just give me one player, I know there could be many. Who do you think Arizona takes with the Sens pick at number 12? 
Ooh, that's good thinking. Um, trying to see, you like, kind of think about who's going to go ahead right on it. Yeah, just like gut feeling, bang. Who's going number twelve overall with Senators' old pick? For some reason, I have a feeling Matthew Wood might go at twelve, and I've talked about him, so that's really? boring. Let's say, um, let's say gavin brinley they haven't really shied away like they have maverick lemover who's super tall right and brinley's a forward but they haven't shied away from getting some smaller guys at times and he just brings such high pace uh at all situations he's going to be loved by like coaches absolutely like no coach is going to dislike him just the amount of energy he brings and how good of a four checker he is given already he's a strong offensive guy and reliable in the d zone i think he's a pretty good option there i think he probably will go a little later, but gut feeling wise, I feel like I could definitely see him as a coyote. All right. No, that's fair. My, I'll give mine, not based on anything other than I feel like the coyotes are going to say, this isn't even our original pick. We can take, like, I don't know, that's a different true. style of player. I think they're, I feel like they'll go with Kobe Barlow at 12, like kind of a little bit of a reach. But still, the consensus is around there. I think McKenzie actually has him 12 on his rankings. That would make so sense. So it almost makes perfect sense. And I know you have him much lower, so I feel like that'd be good for the Sens. Don't want him to take a great player with the pick and then haunt them forever. So that's just that's just my guess. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. But that was the first thing I think we could talk about the Sens. The other one, because you know we are sort of a Sens podcast. Um, who do you think they should take? Bit. You know, the fourth, fifth, and then they have three picks in the seventh. So a couple yeah. names that you might know about, enough about. Okay, so, yeah, there's a few guys. Uh, one of them that people remember is Thomas Millich is still draft eligible, I believe, this year. So that could be interesting if the Sens want a goalie. And if he goes, if he, like, because he's not the biggest guy, so he might still fall, even given his world junior play. Uh, but I've talked about him last year already. Uh, the two guys in my honorable mentions that I mentioned already, uh, Joey Willis and Matthew Mania, would be interesting. Uh, Willis is just a very smart two-way off-puck support kind of guy, kind of like an Owen Beck light-light. Uh, and I you think, think he'll still be, that both of those guys will be available? Uh, I think there's a possibility that they are, because okay. they're both unranked so they're by not... Bob McKenzie, and that's like top 96. So I think there's okay. definitely I see potential for Elite that. Elite Prospects has them 94 with their consolidated, which sort of pulls everything to get all the public rankings together, at least the ones that they use. And they have them at 94, so obviously 108's not a, a long shot yeah. by any means, especially at that time in the draft where someone at 80 will actually go 150. 94 to 108 is not a big difference, so... Yeah, I think, keep those, like, I think him and Mania, who's like has just incredible name, but like also a really deceptive play creator on D, uh, are potentials for at 108. And another guy would be, actually, I don't think he'll fall that far, but Felix Ungersorum could be interesting, who's a really passing and creativity-based forward. Um, but there are some names that, and like I, this was earlier today, I looked up and I was like, you know what, which of the guys that I've scouted here that I think could fall pretty low, but I was really impressed about um, as possible options for the later picks? Because we still have like three seventh rounders this year, all right? And I think... What is it? We have a fourth, a fifth, and three sevenths? Is that what we have? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for those later picks, because this guy went undrafted last year, he might get picked before this, but Rodwin Dionisio is a really interesting case in the sense that 
he was a was a forward going up. Then he came up to the OHL uh, for Niagara and played defenseman and has been playing defenseman then played a little bit back at forward kind of like a Dustin Bufflin kind of vibe um but he has su- he is just such a incredible elite playmaker um and a really physical guy which is an interesting package especially this late like you're looking at his uh playmaking micro stats and he is uh, according to Mitch Brown again from elite prospects does a ton of great work um he has the highest like expected primary assist per 60 of, of any defenseman he has tracked over the last, I think he's done this for the last five years now, and 15th overall, which is higher than a ton of elite yeah. forwards. So I think that could be interesting. The thing is, his skating is terrible. Like, it's really bad. But if he gets taken That's back the thing, up right? to forward, that... like, that is way yeah. less exploitable. That's the thing, right? I feel like looking at those stats at the level they're playing at, is one thing, but then oftentimes the reason they don't get drafted or they get drafted later is because teams don't think it might it might not translate, right? Because yeah, okay, he's so good in the OHL, but wait until he's in the NHL and everyone is twice as fast. So just always using OHL as, as an example, it can be any league, but interesting. Yeah. And at that point, like you said, it's just sort of an idea. And if you're in the seventh round, that's the type of risk you take on some one little thing developing and it, it explodes, right? So. Yeah, it's first-round level playmaking. That's the thing. Like, you could argue that it is top half. And for those who remember, I don't know if anyone will, but he is the guy that at the World Juniors this year scored a Forsberg in the shootout to win the game for Switzerland, then hit the gritty. I don't remember so, that even. It would be funny, man. It'd be great if, if we got him. I think that'd be pretty cool. That's good. Yeah, no, I mean, it's hard to, to make you put you on the spot and ask you to name some guys when they don't pick in the top 100. Not very considerate of Pierre Dorian, but... I think we've we've given some good information. I'll leave the episode with three guys I think the Suns could take. <laughs> Number one is Jabril Toure, who plays on the Sudbury Wolves in the OHL. He is a D plus two. He's listed as the tallest player in the draft at six foot seven, <laughs> two hundred and three pounds. Actually, he was in his age uh, nineteen season, and it was his first year even making the OHL. I think that's a guy that oh, wow. Pyrodoron has his eyes. He's tracking like a hawk. Another one would be Milton Oscarson. He's a forward playing in... He actually played in the SHL this year. He had three points in 45 SHL games as a D plus two. Yeah, this is played in the SHL the whole year. 216. I mean, that's good. Not the whole year. He played 10 U20 games. Uh, However, um, he's 6'6", 216, so I just, you know, something, I don't know what it is about him that draws me to think that Pierre Doron's looking at him. And then the third is Artyom Kashtanov. Again, I'm not sure why I think Pierre Doron might be interested, but he's 6'6", 190, um, and he played in the MHL this year. It was almost a point per game in the MHL. He actually has respectable MHL stats. Um, he is he is not a plus one or two or anything. He's actually Actually, this is the first time. Now, he is born in December, 04, but he's eligible. And he's 6'6", 190, so something, I just have vibes that um, the Sens have him in the top uh, in the top 100 of the draft boards. So if they take those guys and they don't take any of Louis' options, I will laugh because he did about 10,000 times as much research as me, considering I did about five minutes. So we'll leave it at that. I think, that, I think that's a really good... Uh, 
really an I insight think... for me. You kind of trumps Louis, but go ahead. <laughs> Before, like, if we're going that route, I'm surprised you didn't say Mateo Mann, the literal son of Trent Mann, who is 6'5", 225. That's a good one. Here's the issue. I'm on Elite Prospects, and it only shows the top five tallest players not in the top five. So. <laughs> Can't do anything. Here's an interesting one. Here's an actual interesting one. Michael Rabal is Czech. He played in That's the USA. He's going to go too year. high. Yeah, he will because he's six six at the age of eighteen, and he had he a nice six six goal in the USHL. I think an actual you take interesting Tim guy. Metzger. No, no, Damian Clara. He <laughs> is a goalie who's been playing out in Europe, and when he gets drafted, because I don't think he'll slip and not get picked. But he will be the first Italian-born player drafted into the NHL, and like unironically, he's actually Italian good. born. Italian born, yes. As it like born in Italy? Yes. Right. Is what drafted okay, okay. into. There are a the lot NHL. of Italian yes. NHL players. Okay. okay. Yes, but not born there you in go. Italy. Yes, yes, yes. That's why I want to make sure. I was gonna say, can name you a couple Italian players off the top of my head. But anyways, that I think that's a, a good way to wrap it up. We've gone gone on long enough telling everyone stuff that they may have already known but definitely some new stuff from louis insights obviously everyone has different opinions but at the end of the day that's exactly what it is sometimes you'll be the person who's most right about someone sometimes you'll be the person who's most wrong about someone and i trust louis judgment so everything he said is true and correct and i agree with all of it anything else you have to say i'm loving this no adam like vibe i know this is great eh? (laughs) <laughs> Remember when we kicked him off last winter and everyone loved it. Our streams went up oh. ten thousand percent. Something something crazy like that, as far as I know. Our Twitter engagements went through the roof. Everybody was saying don't yeah. bring back Adam. Our listenership on Red Circle, the analytics we saw were just like crazy. Our best performing episode in months. Like we should He actually wanted to be here it. today, but we told him no. So anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So that leads me to do the outro. So thank you everyone yeah. for listening. Hope you enjoyed us talking about a bunch of guys the Sens are not going to draft. And uh, we'll be back after the draft. Hopefully we have some fun stories. Maybe the Sens, who knows? We didn't even talk about the guy who wore number 12 for the Sens last year. Not even he who shall not be named on this podcast. So they could get a first there, maybe move into there. So kind of listen to what Louis was talking about. Maybe they'll be taking one of those guys. Benson, in his, uh, please fourth be tier. Who knows? Please, please take Benson. I don't know if he'll get please. a pick that high, but I was thinking in the fourth tier, that 13 to 32 tier, there might be a guy in there that the Sims end up taking if they make a trade. We'll see. Yeah. But that'll be it for today. So thanks for listening, everyone, and hopefully Adam's not back next week. Take care, everybody. <laughs> Bye.